Hey, what's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds, part of Think Big Bodybuilding Media. I'm Scott McNally, and of course, I'm here with our host, Dr. Scott Stevenson. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You could use our code ADVICES for some additional savings. Check them out. High-quality supplements that bodybuilders trust. Guys, we have a bunch of stuff uh, that we are going to talk about today. Uh, Scott has a bunch of information for us about metformin that we're going to dig into, and we have... Uh, what we'll call a, a topic that relates, I think it relates to the progressive overload stuff that we've been talking about a lot on the channel lately, uh, and, and that is uh, how to work with undulating periodization. That here's my thing, Scott. I've found that I, I can't get stronger every week. You know, uh, eventually I'm gonna break. How? And 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 I think that a lot of people right. are running into that. You know. Mm -hmm. uh, so first of all, man, how's it going? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's it is actually sunny today. It's been raining a boatload. It does this in Florida, so yeah, it'll rain today. It rains almost every day, but it's just beautiful, yeah. nice, muggy, hot. You know, you can you can e easily lose five pounds sweating just wandering around. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. I love it. It's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. I don't mind it one bit. So yeah, life's good. Nice. So as long as you're quiet. The undulating periodization. I've wanted to make a T-shirt that has your face on it and says that because I've heard you say that term more than anyone else. Um, yeah. Another person who's brought it up to me is a great bodybuilder, uh, David Smith, friend of yours, and I, I call him a friend of my own Big now too. Dave Smith. Big yeah. Dave Smith. Listen, so I I've gotten some advice from him about cues in in uh, some of the exercises that I've really been into. And then he really started getting into the idea, putting it in my head that, you know, you can't just go. It's not strength isn't just a straight line. And I've been listening to him because I watched him on like, you know, back to the bros versus pros videos that Dave Palumbo put together years ago. Yeah, he he came contest. in there, man, and he won those things. That dude was strong, you and know, he's still strong as shit. Yeah. And I wanted to be strong like that myself. I've never been that that level of strong. Mm -hmm. And I know that if I can get stronger, I can grow bigger. And so far it's been working. But the caveat to that is I, I, I can get stuck and I see a lot of people, you know, even clients that I work with that we've been talking a lot about, you know, about uh, progressive overload on the channel. You know, uh, us and uh, Ron and Dusty talk about it a lot. A lot of our guests do. But it's not just a straight line up. How 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 do you? get to be your getting your absolute strongest i'm seeing there's there's steps to it there's steps forward and then there's steps back and how mm -hmm. do we figure out how to manage those steps so god there's so much to this obviously it can be but it's really simple it's, it's simple in a certain way i i believe that to some degree form follows function so your your best performances in the gym what you can you can achieve with all out efforts are going to be reflected in your physique over time. You go from 200 pounds for 10 reps to 300 pounds for 10 reps. That's going to manifest in the muscles that are moving that weight in those exercises with that exercise. So that's kind of the bottom line. Like that's the crib. That's the uh, too long didn't read Cliff's notes version of this. The other way to look at it, or the, uh, like a big picture look, is there's both a psychological aspect of this and a physiological aspect of this there's a mind and body there's you know talk about the spirit too maybe if we have enough time probably not but so some people just relish psychologically the challenge of going in the gym and having their logbook heckling them <laughs> heckling their ego that you're not you're not enough you can't handle me i'm gonna whoop your ass today gravity and i are gonna make you our bitch yeah. and they love attacking in that way that's People who love to do DC training can grow like crazy with DC training, for instance, because every set, every working set in DC training, aside from, of course, the warm-ups, is progressively overloaded. You're trying to get better. And that is a form of, of – it is a form of undulating periodization. So periodization means periodizing or choosing different phases in your training to some degree. And that's a really loose general term that's thrown around a lot. You, I talk about daily undulating periodization in the sense that you would have on a different day exercises that generally would fall into different rep ranges or the exercises would have different set types. 
the fortitude training. In DC training, you take exercise rotations and undulate those or basically rotate through those. So your main core leg exercise, thigh exercise, I call it thighs, adductors, hams, quads, glutes in fortitude training, might be a barbell squat, a hack squat, and a leg press. And you would rotate through every workout those three exercises, periodize through those, yeah. undulate through those. And hopefully the undulation means that over time you're going up on each of those. Yeah, yeah. So psychologically, some people want to go in the gym and they can they can attempt to beat the logbook to progressively overload every single time. That's on one end of the spectrum. That's DC training. That can that can work as long as you can periodize with DC training blasts and cruises so you know how to take deloads and step back. You can't do that you know, at infinitum, you'll just, you will burn out. Like you just, you'll crumble in some way, shape or form psychologically, or probably eventually your joints and your connective tissue, your tendons, et cetera, will just, they'll just, you'll, you'll injure yourself or you'll be so damn sore. And I've done this before. Jordan actually did this push too hard. This was last year. Okay. This was all known on his site. He, he went through the same thing that I went through many years ago. Literally his whole body was inflamed. You'll see videos where he's just coaching Corin through their training mm -hmm. because he he pushed himself so hard and just kept on going, thinking he could remedy it with BPC-157 and curcumin and various ways to kind of counter the inflammation. And it didn't happen. He had to take a step back. It killed him to do it psychologically because he loves to go in the gym and attack. Yeah. But he was able to c climb out of that hole. So that's psychologically what some people can handle. The other way, the other end of the spectrum are those that realize there has to be some progressive overload, which you typically you're going to need to monitor in a, in a logbook. Not everyone does. You can do this in a very uh, rudimentary way, which I, I did for many, many years and I can talk about too. But you can just, if you have a good memory, you can do this as long as you're honest with yourself. And just have core lifts on certain days in your training regime, in your weekly split or biweekly split, however you conjure things. It doesn't have to be that you use a five-way split over a week. Yeah. You could you could have, you know, a push-pull legs that, you know, rotates every five days with two off days in there so that you don't end up training like legs every Monday and chest every Thursday or what have you. Mm -hmm. So, but you could you could have within that training rotation certain days where you progressively overload and certain days where you don't a heavy light day let's hmm. say heavy day you progressively overload your light day you go lighter on the on the loads you focus on your form you're still training as hard as you can but you're not looking at the logbook and trying to move those numbers upward yeah so that's a very very nice basic easy way to do that okay um so for another, another way that I've set up in fortitude training, this is where I talk about the daily undulating periodization is with three different set types. Hmm. Yeah. And the loading sets in fortitude training are the straight sets, progressive overload, very similar to DC training. I've got zigzagging, which is a little bit different in there, but still those are the sets like you got the logbook looking at you. That's your enemy right there or your friend, your, your partner in crime, so to speak. Your partner in muscle crimes is the logbook in this case when it comes to the loading sets. The muscle rounds, same thing. You're trying to progress, but you've got some flexibility in there. You can progress where you're filling in the fourth set of a muscle round. You can progress where you're filling in the sixth set. You can allow yourself to increase reps with the same load. So you fill in the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth before you then increase the load. You can pick um, uh, loads that you first fail in the sixth and then just keep moving the load up so you start eventually failing in the fifth and the fourth if you really mm -hmm. want to move the load up quickly mm -hmm. you can do that some people who just like to get really aggressive with the loading can do it that way mm -hmm. so that gives you that's all progressive overload as long as you come back and look at an exercise say it's an incline smith press and you were doing muscle rounds failing in the fourth with 245s on each side that in January of 2019 and January of 2020, you come back and now you're using 245s and a 25 each side. Mm. Mm -hmm. Add an extra 25 on each side and same Smith machine, et cetera.
Yeah. And you're filling in the fourth set of six in a muscle round. That's progression. Yeah. How you got there, how you sort of wove your way through the progressive overload is a function of what suits your mindset. So it's the psychological and the physiological coming together. Mm, okay. So, and then in fortitude training, I've got pump sets, which are, which are, we've talked about those before. Those are fun. Those are like isolation, get the pump. Literally, you can pretend like I'm getting ready to go on stage. If I had to pump up my chest, because what would I do? Yeah. I got like 90 seconds to get the best pump possible during the course of this set. Yeah. How can I make that happen? Yeah. Don't worry about the reps, whatever. Just make it, just, just go for it. And that's something that, that's like the opposite of stressful. You know, that's like just pure easy, lighthearted lifting in, in the gym, well, you know? Well, some people find those to be the most brutal, actually. Do they really? They're, because they're higher rep sets, yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. There are some data, when you look at people use the term fatigue, it's not my favorite, but when you look at sort of the inroads into recovery, mm-hmm. um, the extent to which your perceived recovery status would go down, higher rep sets can whack people pretty bad. Mm, okay. Especially if they're intermittent, like, like a Widowmaker. Yeah. You'd rather do three sets of 10 to failure or three Widowmakers to failure. Ooh. Yeah. yeah. What's going to whack you the more? Three Widowmakers in the 20 rep range, yeah. roughly. That's different than a pump set. <laughs> it's different than a pump. Intentionally, very much intentionally, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, but even with those pump sets, like just because if you're on like a leg press, you know, and you're just doing partials, like, you know, partially your way out until you get down yeah. to a safe failure spot and climb out of the machine, mm-hmm. those will still destroy you. Depending on the person. Yeah. yeah it's How funny because, yeah, when I look at that, I, I don't think of, I don't get any anxiety about doing something like that no. versus I th- I think of trying to get in there and beat the best I've ever done, which mm-hmm. was last time I trained. That's that, that starts getting a little bit scarier. You know, that's a little bit more stressful to me. It, it, yeah. It, Cause you can, I mean, you have to be careful too, that you're not losing your form. Yes. Not doing things that like, we talked about this before we came on. You're not creating an increased risk for injury because you're you know you're getting all crazy trying to beat the logbook at all costs. Yeah. When the point is to beat the logbook, so that, that will that over time means a greater evoked stimulus for increasing muscle mass, assuming you're eating enough and recovering properly. Yeah. The idea is not just to beat the logbook. It's not like you beat the logbook, the number is if it's a higher number, a higher weight, reps or weight wise, that doesn't mean the muscle just goes on. It's not like, you know, you just all of a sudden Poof, there it is. Yeah. It has to be, that has to reflect an enhanced stimulus or a stimulus that is keeping pace with the adaptation that you're making during your recovery. Yeah. So if you recovered well and now your capability, your performance capacity in the gym is such that you can, instead of use 225, you can use 235, you should do 235. Right. And for X number of reps, because that is what you're going to, that's, if you stay with 225, eventually that doesn't become a stimulus anymore that evokes any more greater adaptation. Yeah. So, so yeah, but that's still a whole different thing. So for someone like psychologically speaking, you can wreck yourself. You can either create an injury risk potential mm-hmm. if you're just shooting from to being in the logbook at all costs, or it just becomes so like such a chore. Hmm. That it's like this is just not fun anymore. Like this is not, this is not what I, I it's not what I signed up for. I like to train yeah. hard, yeah, but all the time, constantly, the logbook's always there. Some people relish that, yeah, and I mean, it'd be like here's a uh, here's an example that um maybe some people like Dave, Big Dave Smith would probably um, be able to recognize this quite well because he does um, jujitsu. Who rolls? He's a martial artist, right? So imagine if. Every time you went into the dojo, whatever mm-hmm. your martial art would be, and you you had a match, like it, every time it was a match, like literally, you know, win or lose, that was what you did, or yeah. two matches. There was no practice, there was no rolling, there was no technique work. Yeah, whatever. it was always a match. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> like I don't know who I'm gonna meet. Like you're entering the octagon every time, you know, and it's like a you know a Chuck Norris flick or something where yeah. You live or die. There's like no like we're gonna have an easy day or light day or work on you know holds or new maneuvers. Eventually, you wouldn't want to go back. Some people mm-hmm. would love to do that. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, who would like just absolute animals. They like Dusty likes to train that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But even he has 
even he needs to have uh, cruises mm. in DC training. So, and I in Fortitude training, I have it set up. This is why I think people like it: is that you've got loading sets or progressive overload. I think that's just an essential component. Muscle rounds. You can choose the exercise, so you can rotate through those, such that you might not do an exercise for months until you come back to it. You look in your logbook, like I think I could beat that. Mm. Chances are, if you're doing everything right up until that point, otherwise, you will. Yeah. It's not like, oh, shit, I don't know if I'm – I just want to get one more rep. This is going to be a bitch. I just did that last week. It's like, no, I've gained seven pounds or I've gained five pounds since I did that mm-hmm. five months ago. Yeah. And I know I've gotten stronger on all my leg movements. I'm going to just decimate that load. I'm going to just destroy that. Huh. It makes it fun. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that, but that that makes sense, and I can relate to that too. That um, it, it in my own training, I've been training using the same stuff every week, and when I would go to the gym, I would use the same equipment as that I would use at home, more or less, same exercises. Mm-hmm. And then I wanted to do something different, so I went to the gym. I use some machines out at uh, a gym that I don't go to as often anymore. It used to be my main gym. Mm-hmm. And I use some exercises, some machines that I hadn't used in a long time. I've gotten so much stronger that cool. like what I could have gotten, I, th- I think on one selectorized machine, I was getting like 110 pounds, 120, maybe 130 if I was really pushing. And now I was doing sets with like 170 on that same machine. So, right. you know, the strength has definitely changed. And yeah, I was, I guess I was pushing to my max in that exercise, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't nearly as stressful as going back to like the dumbbell incline press, which is like the thing that I keep pounding against and the thing that's gotten me stronger. It's it, in that sense, it's, it's positive reinforcement. You know, you're going to go and beat previous best. Yeah. And it's just like, I wonder how much stronger I've gotten. Yeah. 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 It's not like, like I might win, I might lose, you know, I got to really, I'm going to have to go for it if I want to get an extra rep or use an extra plate, hmm. but no, I'm going to just kick this thing's ass. Now, so, if I do change that, so let's say, you know, I, I've been pounding my head up against the dumbbell incline press. Now I go to the gym, I do this other exercise, I definitely beat my previous best on it. Um, but am I really, am I deloading in any way? I, you know, it, I'm giving myself that mental break, but am I getting, you know, it's like, I, I wonder, I'm, I don't feel like I'm necessarily getting as much of a physical break. Like the, I, I guess I'm curious, my... At the end of the day, the thing I really am concerned about is if every every time we train in movement, we're progressively getting better and better at it, there has to be that point of not getting better at it. And that's that point where, like, you know, you've broken down in some way. I want to avoid that breakdown, I guess. I want to figure out better how to avoid that. That's where an over overarching training periodization scheme is important, where you have some sort of a deload or um, you know a rinse and repeat type of thing where you, you where you, you the recovery has starting to got has gotten poor. You yeah. I use the recovery scale. Um, we can maybe throw that up later. I've got one on my computer someplace. Okay, it's just like a zero to ten scale. It's with with Likert verbal anchors like excellent recovery. Once you get to, you can get too low. You know this when you when you get up or when you go in the gym. You can make the measurement. You're like you know what I'm gonna have to pull back. Okay. So you pull back. Um, at some point in time. So that, that, that is going to have like a, an overarching effect on your recovery, regardless of what you're doing. Mm, yeah. So here's the way I've set up in fortitude training. You can do these things differently, but this kind of gets at what you're talking about. So there's, when you do a daily undulating periodization with different rep ranges, there's an interaction amongst all of those stimuli to some degree. So I mentioned this, I think it was on this podcast where when you get stronger with the heavier loading sets, the heavier training, that makes the lighter stuff feel even lighter. Yeah. So you're using, you know, five plates on a squat when you drop down to 275. Go from 495 to 275. 275 feels like nothing because you've worked your way up to those really, really heavy loads. Whereas when you're done high rep sets, let's say Widowmakers with 275, then that fatigue, that the the effort you have to put forth to push through a set like that, that just like blindingly difficult, makes the fatigue that you feel, the muscular endurance fatigue, related fatigue that you feel during a set of eight to 10, not so bad anymore. Yeah. 
So there, there is to a certain degree a muscle endurance adaptation that comes from higher reps that will play a role in the heavier okay. training. And there's a neurological phenomenon at least, not to mention the fact that if you're getting more muscle mass, that's going to carry over to all your lifts. Yeah. That comes from the heavier training, which will, which will probably have at least a psychological effect on those lighter loads because they feel like feathers now. Yeah, yeah. What you've been, what you've been moving. So then, so there's, there's, that's the, the a, a, a interaction between the, the loading of a heavier and lighter loads. There's also changing the exercises. So mm. you've been doing incline dumbbell presses, then you go do like some sort of a, you know, incline machine, hammer strength, something like that. You get a different activation pattern. It's still, you know, working the upper chest, but it's machine. The loading curve is different. The balance is different. The activation pattern is going to be different. You could do those incline presses as hard as you possibly can and getting whatever amount of soreness you sort of leveled out at and doing those on a regular basis. And then you go and you train chest as hard. Your perceived exertion is just as, as hard. Your reps reserve, if you play with that um, psychological measurement, is the same. But you'll get much more sore from simple the novelty. Most people will, at least, if you're, especially if, you're, if you get sore just in general, of doing that new exercise. Yeah. Because so that means it's a new stimulus in my mind, at least. We've talked about this here too. That's the novelty of stimulus that makes that first time you go in the gym and train. If you've had a layoff, something you want to be careful of because you get so sore. That's where people get rhabdo. Because mm. you know athletes that come in and the coaches are pissed because they haven't been doing their off-season training and they just run through the ringer and then they, you know, third of the team ends up at the hospital. Yeah, that yeah. Kind of shit, which happens, you know. Yeah. So, but you can get more and more sore. So you get. You get, in one sense, by changing exercises like that, having just some variety. Let's say you do that in a way in a way that you you auto-regulate. So you say, you know what? I think I would still like to do an incline press movement. And you go into that gym, and you're like, you get on a Smith machine, and you're like, nah, I still, like, that just feels like I'm still like that. I'm still tender. That doesn't feel right. Mm -hmm. But you get on that fly incline, like maybe there's an incline fly, like one of those those swiveling like flex has had one, like it's a converging fly press machine, maybe something like that. It's an incline. Yeah. Like this feels good. I feel strong here. I know it's hitting my upper chest, but it feels right. Mm -hmm. So now you get novelty of stimulus and you also allow for some recovery, I would say because of how it feels from those movements that you've been doing on a regular basis. So if you had gone, Five weeks, let's say, doing incline dumbbell presses, and then you and you did a sixth week where you're like, "Fuck, this one's really getting. I need. I really could use a break from incline dumbbell presses." And in one scenario, you do the sixth week, you come back that seventh week and try to do them again. You're like, "I made a mistake. Mm. Shouldn't have done those incline presses. Mm -hmm. I should have. I should have moved away from that exercise." Versus, you still train, but you do a different exercise. Mm. When you come back in that seventh week, having done that just one week of a different exercise, you'll probably not have that same sense of like, whoo, I should have taken a break. Hmm. This has been my empirical experience personally yeah. in working with people. Yeah. So you, you basically, you know, you've incline press week, 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 five, six weeks in a row. And all of a sudden you take a week off, you get a novel to, novel stimulus because it's a new exercise, right. which is going to promote growth. But you also get to step away from that exercise that you've been doing so regularly now that it's one you probably need to step away from yeah. and come back to it again because you rotated around it. So there's something to say for, and you could do this with DC training. It's three exercises. There's mm -hmm. other reasons for that that rotate through. You can do like a heavy light day with different exercises on those days. Um, or, you know, with fortitude training, you've got a, a three-way rotation on your heavy loading sets. And then the muscle rounds, are chosen kind of the way I just described it is you go in and you pick the exercise based on how you feel on that day. Mm, yeah. So it could just be because of the accumulating fatigue and soreness that you have in let's say your upper chest on a given week that one time you go and you know, you know today, today I'm going to use the incline, the incline Smith feels great for doing a muscle round in another scenario because of where you are in your training blast how your diet's been, maybe work you've been doing around the house, anything else, it might be that that Smith just doesn't feel right. Maybe you had something weird go on with an overhead press and now you've got 
bicephal impingement, which I know you tend to have. Mm-hmm. And that just is like immediately a red flag for the incline smith. So you do something else. You okay. do a cable fly yeah. as a muscle round. So you pick on the fly, pardon the pun, the exercise that feels like it's going to be um, target where you want. It may be that you don't do any incline press because there's just nothing. It just needs a break. You still could do, yeah. some, do some pec work. You just choose a little bit different angle. Um, so you auto-regulate the exercise to give yourself a break to some degree from that same groove that you've been in week after week after week. Yeah, that makes sense. So, so then, you, then you've got combining all these things by choosing different exercises as well as working in different rep ranges. So you're, like, if, if we look at it from the perspective of that incline dumbbell press, you're pushing, 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 and then you choose a different exercise and you step back just in the context of that exercise, mm-hmm. but you're still progressing overall. The novelty of the new exercise you've chosen, you're still eating enough to make gains, what have you. You've just taken a deload, so to speak, from that one exercise that you then interject back into your program again. Yeah. Because you've had some variety. Because you've created an exercise rotation or you're using some sort of auto-regulation to, give your, to allow yourself to pull away. It doesn't mean you give up on the incline dumbbell presses. It's just you, you step away from them. Yeah. Yeah, so, that makes sense. That that makes sense. Yeah. And I could see uh I could see how that could make a difference. And just having gone to the gym this past week and done different exercises than I was used to, I do feel like that in itself gave me a break and I'm more excited to come back to the exercises that I love. Just having having gotten right. away from it for a minute. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, you just like if you come like come back, like it'd be interesting to see maybe you can report back to us. Yeah. Next time we do this. If you go back, was it just recently that you stepped away and yep. you went to the gym? Okay. So yeah, just my last back, workout. Okay, cool. So when you go back, you should see how that incline demo press feels. Yeah. Now yeah. that you had a workout away from it. I can already tell I'm going to feel strong again. You know, I, I can definitely tell. And the last time I did that, I, I was back up to my, and that's the reason is because I realized, you know, having been building, 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 going up and up and up, and then it culminated in me feeling just really low. My, my interest in training went down mm. to zero. My strength had been tapering off. Um, and that lasted for a few weeks. And then toward the end of that, having not even trained, that's when my shoulder went out. So I do feel like that was all kind of tied together. Now I'm right. back to the point where I've rebuilt. I was able to work back up to what I would consider to be a, a, a scary set on the uh, dumbbell uh, incline press. And then right. from there, I'm like, okay, so now that I hit that, I want to step back a little bit. And so what I did was I went to another gym. I trained away mm-hmm. from my home gym. And, and yeah, I definitely felt kind of reinvigorated. So I think then I'm glad to know I was kind of on the right step. But like I said, too, I wanted to, to, to talk about this today because I knew you'd have some good insight for us. And I know that this is something that everybody listening is running into because there are so many more people now uh, who follow the channel that are getting more involved with progressive overload and it's it's great to get stronger and stronger each week, but then there's some questions that come up besides, you know, besides how do I lift more? <laughs> you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Well, you know, it's interesting too, like because some people want to, we're bodybuilders, we always want to be progressing in some way or, or at least have the sense that we are. Yeah. The way I do the progressive blast and the intensive cruise in fortitude training is you move from that ro- of the, the the weekly schedule using daily undulating periodization, loading sets, muscle rounds, pump sets, and then when you do the intensive cruise, it's basically a taper. You drop down your volume, your frequency goes down a little bit too. So instead of training four times a week, you train three times a week. If you're on a volume tier three, you go to two. If you're on two, you go to one. If you're on one, you just stay with one, but your frequency goes down. So your overall volume the volume density, you could call it, goes down because yeah. you're training less often. And then you, but you also go to muscle rounds only. Hmm. So you're getting a taper. So imagine you're squatting, 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 and you're doing like whatever five sets of squats. And then you you have a couple for you to do that for ten weeks, and then you go for two weeks, and you just do um, you squat twice a week, and instead of squatting twice a week for those last two weeks, you do. Uh, you squat on like a Monday, a Friday and like a Tuesday, and then you wait the rest of the week and you come back 
Hmm. That's okay. if you're tapering in for a meet. That would that taper in of itself would mean you're stronger. Hmm. That's just I toss that as a generic way. So powerlifters will do that in very very specific ways. Sometimes they'll, they'll 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 taper so much that they're just like dying to get back on the platform. Yeah. They want to train so fucking bad they can't stand it, and that's when they know they'll be really really strong. Yeah. Huh. So I taper it, but I also in fortitude training also go to muscle rounds which means you can, you're moving away from those exercises that you've been really grinding away at for a while. Mm-hmm. So you don't do an incline dumbbell press. You do a muscle round with, a, with an exercise. It could be free weights. It could be a machine. It's free weights as long as it's, as it's safe. Mm-hmm. Um, that feels right. That doesn't feel like you know, it's tweaking those areas that maybe are getting a little bit overworked that are he- heading down the pathway of a chronic um, – Chronic injury, chronic overwork injury, like for you, biceps, tendonitis, I get the same thing in my shoulders. So you find something that doesn't even remotely bother that. Yeah, yeah. And so you get the effect of a taper. You still train hard. You're still doing a muscle round. And you can go back and look at muscle round performances from months ago Mm. that you did and probably beat those. Yeah. Because you're not doing three muscle rounds. You're only doing two. And it's you're been down a while, here. so you're stronger. And you've been a while, so you're stronger. And you're also tapering, too. So you're going to get str- So you would see the progression, even though you're stepping back from your training to what is sort of it's a deload in terms of the volume yeah. and the frequency. But you're still maintaining that intensity. So like one of the this kind of comes from the track and field world, various strength and power sports where you maintain the quality of your training. So let's say you're a sprinter. And obviously, when you're doing your 100 meter sprint, that's a sprint. It's everything you got. Like, there's no like, you know, there's not you're not pacing yourself for a sprint. These guys are going all out. So when they when they taper down during the week or 10 days or however long the taper might be for a given individual athlete, they're not going to maintain their the volume of training they've been doing. They'll drop the training volume down, but they're still doing sprints. They're still doing some sprint work. Yeah. You don't want to lose those neurological adaptations for sprinting, but you also you want to be able to make sure you're maintaining um, that maximal effort mindset as well as, to some degree, the ability to do that. So you're still training hard. You're still training, maintaining the quality of the stimulus and bodybuilding standards yeah. in the bodybuilding context. Still training hard, but you're just avoiding the shit that that um, that has been that caused you probably in the first place to have accumulated that quote-unquote fatigue, to have to have had the inroads into your recovery that means you need to take the break and do the intensive cruise as opposed to blast on and on. Yeah. So you, you, you step away from that, but you're also going to have stronger. So you'll, you'll feel like you're making progress, and then if things work, this has been the coolest thing is when people who never really have done much of a deload, they follow just – I have a, it's a pretty generic suggestion for fortitude training, but it works really well. They follow it and they come back to blast again and they look at their logbook and they just destroy their numbers. That's so cool. They just they just blow them away. I've told the story about the math mathematician guy who's like he thought he just couldn't count because <laughs> he was so pissed because he just blew away. He's like, How come I've gotten so much stronger yeah. on everything? It's because he kept on eating and he never really had a break like that. And it was also a novel stimulus for him. So it just he was a perfect storm of factors to get a really good rebound. That is so, really cool. That is yeah. really cool. Well, listen, let's uh, move on because I know we had some more stuff. Hey, what's up, guys? Scott here. I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and then we'll get right back to the programming. If you're listening to this on iTunes, do us a favor. Leave us a good five-star review. That'll help other people to find our shows. Thank you for that. All right, so I'm going to shout out the joint supplements that they have available over at truenutrition.com today. And uh, listen, if you guys didn't know, I mean, most of you probably do. I had a partial tear in my shoulder recently, and it was quite a scare because I thought I wasn't going to be able to continue lifting the way that I enjoy lifting. I don't want that to end, and thankfully, I'm not going to need surgery, but I am going to need to take care of my joints, and this was a wake-up call for me. So I talked to Dante Trudell. It turns out there's only two supplements that will actually rebuild connective tissue. So the first one is hydrolyzed beef collagen, and they offer this through True Nutrition. It's not cheap. We're talking like $25.99 a pound. But listen, each scoop, you get 29 grams of high-quality, high-digesting protein, 
plus you're rebuilding your connective tissue. So you're using this as a supplement and you're using this as food so you can replace some of the protein powder you would have been drinking to offset the cost. I got the unflavored version and basically there's no taste to this stuff. There's maybe a tiny, tiny aftertaste, but there's basically no taste. And what you can do is you could just mix in some crystal light or mix it with you know an intra workout that you're using. You could use it at any point of the day. I've been mostly using it either as an intra workout or I've been mixing it with my pre-workout. I had a little bit of crystal light and I am good to go. The second supplement that I'm using is a product called JFlex from True Nutrition. And the most important part of this is a supplement called UC2. That's undenatured type two cartilage. So with the beef collagen, you get type one and type three. This provides type two. So these things combined will give you the best chance of restoring connective tissue and keeping your connective tissue strong. Along with that, it also contains glucosamine, chondroitin, MSM, SAMe, you know, things that you would expect to find in a regular joint product. And you get boswala extract and curcumin, both of which are great for inflammation. So if you want to take care of your joints, check this stuff out. And you can use our code ADVICES. That'll get you a little bit of additional savings. And of course, that goes directly to help support our programming. I want to keep lifting the way I want to lift as long as possible. Um, you had some uh, some thoughts here on metformin, and I'm not sure exactly where you want to go with it. So I'm I'm just going to turn it back over to you. Just shift gears here. Uh, so where do we want to start with this? Let's see. I sent you some figures. Let's, the very first one I sent this morning: the hormetic bell curve optimizing training dose, three different levels of recovery. I think this is it. Yep. It's got the red, black, and green lines. All right. So. I got that up. What are we looking at here? So that shows just up the above the horizontal line there is a positive adaptive response, meaning you're getting stronger, you're getting bigger. Okay. Below that is you're going the opposite way. You'd be like actually literally overtraining. Performance is going down. You're losing muscle mass. And. What that shows is, though, for a cumulative training dose, so let's say you just just keep your sets, you know, failure sets, X amount of them for a given muscle group of the whole body, however you want to conceptualize it. Okay. Kind of all the same. The black line would be maybe the average person. So you can add more and more sets until at some point in time, you, given your recovery level, all the things that allow you to come back, adapt to the stimulus of training, gives you a peak there. The, the highest point on that black line. That's your optimal point of, that's your optimal training stimulus. Okay. Adapting given the person's recovery level. You go beyond that and you see the line starts heading back down and eventually you try to, you try to do, let's say five sets. You can do, get away with five sets twice a week for a given individual. And then they start going to six sets and seven sets they're not quite recovering quite as well. They're not they're not adapting as well. The strength is going up as well. Yeah. Some of that can be just a function of accumulating fatigue over the course of a training blast or a mesocycle. But eventually, just very generally speaking, you try to go to eight sets or ten sets twice twice a week. Eventually, it's just too much. You can't adapt to that at all. This is what Mike Isertel refers to. When he's talking about maximal adaptive volume, maximum recoverable volume. Okay. Those, sorts of, those are his terms. Now, does this relate to metformin? Yes. Okay. It sure does. We're getting there. Okay. Okay. Right? Just just making sure that I'm on the right yeah. page with you here. No, you are. You are. Okay. So, um, so part of that stimulus, something when we go into the gym, there's a number of things that are involved. The inflammation, the mechanical disruption, obviously tension is important here. Um, there's also a, a, a free radical stress that is brought on. When you when you when you train like that, and you have inflammation. You can use NSAIDs like naproxen, aspirin. Mm. Those will reduce all of the immediate responses. Pretty much the immediate responses you see things like protein synthesis doesn't get increased as much. Mm-hmm. Protein breakdown doesn't get increased as much. You want both of those to go up. You won't see the same level of satellite cell proliferation. You don't see the same level of prostaglandins that are involved with inflammation because that's what nonsteroidal anti-inflammatories do. They they block the rate-limiting enzyme for production of those. Yeah. And sometimes, many in many of the st- studies, when you give an anti-inflammatory, you blunt muscle growth. 
there was actually a study with older folks where they gave an anti-inflammatory and they had greater muscle growth. So go, if we go back to that figure and imagine an older person who's prone to inflammation mm -hmm. and for them, for the training they're doing in a study, their, their adaptive response is beyond that optimum point, beyond the peak. They're getting back, coming back downwardly. And now you blunt the stimulus yeah. by taking an onsteroidal anti-inflammatory. You blunt the inflammation. You blunt the um, uh, insult brought on by the training. That moves them back to the left so they have more optimal adaptation potentially. Mm, yeah. So that goes for inf things involved with inflammation. And one of those is also free radical stress hmm. okay. comes about. So let's throw up that next plot. Okay. It should look very familiar. And we're getting closer to the, uh, the answer to metformin. Okay. This is another bell curve. Another bell curve. Yep. Got it up. So... This is, these are all from my book, the Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach book. But what they found is if you give like mega doses, like a gram of vitamin C with like 400 IUs of vitamin E, hmm. um, acetyl L-cysteine will do the same thing. Um, someone who's like really worried about, let's say someone's taking orals yeah. and they're taking like a, a liver protector that has acetyl L-cysteine and alpha lipoic acid would be so worried about, but... Silly Marin, mainly most of the ingredients that are in there are um, they have free radical quenching abilities. Mm. So if we look at that figure, if you quench the free radical stress by using antioxidants, we're not talking about something you get from like an orange, you know, or eating fruits and vegetables. We're talking about supplemental, like a thousand milligrams of vitamin C is equivalent to like 20 or 30 oranges or something like that, mm. like 60 milligrams of vitamin C in an orange. So you'd have to take like, eat like 20 oranges. You have to be eating like just, you know, bushels of oranges in order to get that. Right. So it's very easy to quench that free radical stress, and that will impair adaptation. We know that happens in terms of uh, endurance exercise. In fact, you'll blunt the increase in insulin sensitivity that comes from just doing cardio. Mm -hmm. But doing cardio, like that's a good – insulin sensitivity is a good thing, generally speaking. doesn't happen. So – one of the things we also know is, and I don't have a figure for this, is that, um, so there's an interesting, so here's kind of where the conundrum comes in play. People use metformin with the idea that is going to improve insulin sensitivity, which right. generally speaking is a sign of health. It's something that's a good thing for people who are diabetics, who have out of control glucose, uh, blood glucose levels. Having elevated glucose will tend to cause um, uh, glyca glycation agents. Basically, the glucose will end up uh, having some un undesirable effects on protein glycosylation. It, uh, high glucose is definitely not good for your kidneys as well. All the things that co come with diabetes, high glucose doesn't help very much. So we're going to... I'm going to bypass some of those ideas and go right to the fact that metformin does seem to help people with diabetes, yeah. but bodybuilders take it because they want to become better bodybuilders. And what has actually been found now is that one of the things that metformin does is acts as an antioxidant. Mm -hmm. If you're someone who's a diabetic, you are going to tend to have increased free radical stress, increased inflammation. It's probably helping to a certain degree. If you're healthy otherwise, and you give metformin, mm -hmm. and you're blocking free radicals, you're having it taking an antioxidant, guess what? You can run into problems where you don't, you don't get those adaptations to exercise. Yeah, and yeah. that's what that first uh, title that I, that from the from original paper that I sent with Konopka is the first author. Metformin inhibits mitochondrial adaptations to aerobic exercise training in older adults. This is not good. So this is a so this is a an issue. Let's say you're, um, and what this could possibly mean actually is that, is that you don't get better insulin ins, insulin sensitivity when you take metformin 
and you do aerobic training. Mm, okay. It actually can counter the insulin sensitivity effect that you get from endurance exercise. Yeah. If you're taking metformin and doing training. So typically that's not a problem with someone who, who has poor endurance, mm. has poor insulin sensitivity, who's a diabetic. They're already behind the ball, so to speak. Yeah. So they need all the help they can get. But if you're someone who is doing using metformin and also doing some cardio and you're healthy, the metformin could actually be undoing the effects of the cardio. No kidding. In terms of insulin sensitivity, yes. No kidding. That's what this wow. is pointing towards Yeah. because it has a free radical quenching effect. Huh. So one of the other things that people have been concerned about when it comes to metformin, this is sort of a detailed story. I cover this in my book. People can go and read that. If you look at that AMP signaling pathway figure, I just stole this from you know Google. Sorry, um, there's this kind of a, a site there. This this is this is not like proprietary. There's a, there's so much information out there on uh, activating AMPK. Mm-hmm. One of the things that uh, metformin does is a plethora of things. It impacts the microbiome. It has this antioxidant uh, effect. Mm-hmm. But one of the main things it's known for is back basically acting like an exercise um, analog, an exercise, uh, exercise mimetic. So exercise increases energy demand, and a lot of what's coordinated in the cell related to energy demand, the demand for energy to fuel the exercise, mm-hmm. comes through this AMP kinase, adenosine mono, monophosphate kinase enzyme yeah. that controls large part, sort of an energy sensor in the cell. Metformin turns that on, and when you have energy demand in the cell, this means the cell is going to be catabolic, it's using up fuel so it can provide ATP. This is the opposite of what you get when you're building up muscle cells. Hmm. When you have an anabolic process, the opposite of catabolic process, You've got plenty of energy around, you're at rest. Obviously, you're not building muscle when you're in the gym training. You're building it when you're recovering, especially mm-hmm. when you're sleeping, for instance, when the energy demand is as low as it can possibly get. You've got your, your basic metabolic rate that's running. As it turns out, AMPK is inhibitory of mammalian target erythromycin, and mTOR. Everyone talks about mTOR. mTOR is important for protein synthesis. So in that figure here, you'll see metformin activating AMPK and then there's another red line with a uh, a right a, a right angle block mm-hmm. instead of an arrow it's that means it's blocking mTOR mm. activating MK blocks mTOR and turns off protein synthesis I'll be damned that makes sense you're not trying to turn on protein synthesis when you when you're at, when you're running for yeah instance. yeah it's not actually happening when you're when you're actually training it's the fact that you created a stimulus so that's always kind of been like, you know, what's going on? Metformin could potentially block um, mTOR mm-hmm. and thus be an issue um, for muscle building. Well, um, there goes the phone again. Uh, as it turns out, there's a, there's a little more complication. There's different subunits of the AMPK enzyme that are turned on by metformin. Um, and... That was kind of a maybe it, uh, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. Um, but actually, as it turns out, metformin, there's some other studies. I don't have anything to show anybody here. There's other studies showing that metformin actually blocks mTOR directly, hmm. not via this AMPK-mediated mechanism. has its own way of doing that that doesn't have to do with AMPK. And if we go to this last thing that I sent you, this is an article from, I think, 2000 and. 19 another study with older folks I'm not going to study bodybuilders they should be healthy if they're young adults so we look at older folks who could use use the benefits of exercise more than your average younger person which one is metformin this? blunts this is the last one uh with walton as the first author metformin blunts muscle hypertrophy in response to progressive resistance exercise in older adults it might be this one there we go. Yeah, last the last figure I sent you today, so. Got it up. It looks just like the other one because yeah. it's from the same journal. Yeah. Um, so this is another piece of information. So now we actually have, in older adults at least, the idea that metformin blunts muscle growth. 
and actually blunt, blunted strength gains in these older folks. These were not unhealthy people. These were these were healthy older adults hmm. who would typically put on some muscle mass in the placebo group they did. Okay. And that could be at least a couple reasons. One, a direct impact on mTOR hmm. that metformin has, which has been demonstrated in some other studies. I cite those in my in my book. Yeah. As well as metformin, as I mentioned before, is an antioxidant. Mm-hmm. So at a very basic root level, it's going to blunt, it's going to it's going to protect against free radical stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we want free radical stress to some degree. We want we want stress. We that's the whole point of going to the gym is to create a stress to which we adapt. Yeah. If we blunt the stress by taking met, too much metformin, that's what the dose was here. So there may be some sort of a dose type mm, of thing. Okay. Related, you know, maybe that if you take too much, maybe, you know, too little, you can find out maybe a happy zone to some degree. The problem, the problem can be, if you're like looking at half-life, well, let's just take the, like, you know, the short-acting metformin. There's a long-acting version, which is easier on the gut for most of the short-acting. Some people just screws up their gut too bad for them to use. But maybe you could take it, time it mm-hmm. at, you know, times away from your workout. What's more important than so much the half-life, um, in the blood at least, is what's going on inside the cell. And that's kind of a crapshoot as far as I know. Mm. So we're a long ways from figuring that out, especially with, you know, um, actual studies looking at timing of metformin and its impact on, on muscle growth. That's so much of an investment to dig in and do an actual study and then look at different groups that took metformin at different times relative to the, to the training. Mm-hmm. So the point here is that People taking metformin, and that's, this is one I've said, we mentioned before, this is sort of like a follow-up on a previous topic we've talked about. People ask about metformin. Should I take it in the off-season mm-hmm. to keep from getting fat, maybe by keeping my insulin sensitivity higher? Maybe I elevate, elevating my, my, uh, my metabolic rate a little bit by turning on AMPK. Right. Basically shifting, shifting my metabolism towards that of someone who's being more active. Well... I've always drawn it. I think it makes sense. There are people who can do cardio in the off-season. They can get on the stepper, and they still make great gains in their legs. Sure. There's people who can do cardio, boatloads of cardio, in their uh, pre-contest period in order to drop fat, and they don't lose the leg size. And then some people, their legs wither away. Mm-hmm. They just can't do it. Same thing probably goes with metformin. Some people can take it and they find it keeps them leaner mm-hmm. at whatever dose they use. Doesn't seem to impair muscle growth. Mm-hmm. And others, nope, just can't do it. They're, for whatever reason, their genetics, the nature of their stimulus, the way the stimulus is bounced with recovery, if they, on that hormetic curve, yeah. take the metformin, it may blunt the stimulus so much that the stimulus isn't enough to produce much of adaptive response at all. I'm telling you, man, I've seen it. You know, I, yeah. I have seen it. I've seen it. And I've, you know, I, I mentioned it on previous episodes, but uh, a guy uh, that I really looked up to, a guy that I competed against, and he beat me for like the next two, the next year. I didn't even know who he was yet. We hadn't become friends yet. I just had a vision of him in my head when I trained. Cause it's like, I got to be better than that guy next time. And we ended up becoming good friends and I ended up coaching him uh, because I, I could bring a conditioning, you know, he has some incredible size. We're going to put our brains together. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And he came to me and he was like, Hey man, you know, I've been eating all this food. He'd been working with another coach and they were hammering the food hard. And he was taking mm-hmm. a high dose metformin. And at the end of the day, he didn't really make too much progress once we once we got you know got him back in shape it, it for how much food he had eaten using this high dose metformin he didn't really change that much and i i'd have to think then scott with what you're telling me maybe everybody has a different response but the more you take the more you're likely to have a bad response here you know what i mean the more, the higher your dose, the put it this way, the lower your dose, the better your chance would be to still gain, I would think, you know? Right. So that, that's the thing. It's with, it's the same. It's just the people just, everyone knows cardio. Like, can you, should you do cardio in the off season? Should you not? Yeah. So if you're, if you're an endomorph who just tends to get fat really easy, just using that, you know, right. The somatotypes are kind of like fluffy, but 
if you're um, what did Matt Poor used to call him? If you're husky of the husk, a husky person. Yeah, yeah. Remember Matt used to use those terms. Like there's there's yeah. some utility to those those yeah. ideas. You gain body fat relatively easily, but you also gain muscle relatively easy. Mm-hmm. For you, the muscle mass isn't the issue. It's keeping the body fat under control. Yeah, yeah. Cardio might be a smart choice. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can do that for the reasons of insulin sensitivity or what have you. And that, and those, for some of those people or people or along, along those lines, for some individuals, metformin, for people who tend to lose insulin sensitivity as they gain, might be something that would not impair muscle growth substantially. That makes sense. Whereas other people, Maybe they maybe gaining muscle is just it's they have to fight tooth and nail for every ounce. Metformin and lots of cardio is not something you want to do. Yeah, you got someone who comes to you who's rail thin, who's naturally like seven percent body fat, and they can't gain muscle. Like you look at them and you're like, you are just made to be thin. Like you, you probably a really good endurance athlete just naturally. Yeah. You don't want to have them like, okay, let's do an hour and a half of cardio and take, you know, a thousand milligrams of metformin a day. It's just not going to make sense. Yeah. They're not going to get the muscle mass. Body fat is not their issue. So it's not, it's not impossible that you could have someone who has mixes of those two types of issues. Maybe you don't gain muscle very well and you gain fat easily too. Yeah. It's possible. You know, you have to, then other strategies maybe, maybe come into play. But the thing is, if we look back at those hormetic curves that we put up is that where you are on that on that stimulus and adap- adaptation cur- bell curve will is at least to some degree it's a nice um, uh, mnemonic to or a nice way to conceptualize what the what the um, metformin might do at least for instance as an antioxidant mm-hmm. so if you are someone who is training really, really hard, this is with what I think may have been going on with this study with older folks, is they were so prone to inflammation that for the training regime they were handed, on average, using an anti-inflammatory brought down the relative stress brought on by the inflammation of the training hmm. to a point that was more optimal for muscle growth compared yeah. to a placebo who was probably doing too much training to optimize muscle growth. So it could be for some people that I mean, some people can get away with taking an aspirin. I I've, I know of a competitor who would take um, what is it, Nyquil PM? Is that the one with diphenhydramine yeah. and ibuprofen? Yeah, and every day, every night, and still grew great. That wasn't a, wasn't a problem. Huh, okay, but the person trained really, really, really hard. Yeah. So that may have been unwittingly something that had just fallen into the regime. It helps with sleep, which is important. Mm-hmm. Taking the diphenhydramine to help them sleep. But also the anti-inflammatory may have been countering what was otherwise excessive inflammation from training a bit more than would have otherwise been optimal. Yeah. So they were they were balancing out an excessive inflammatory response to the training um, by taking a little bit of ibuprofen at night. Mm-hmm. So could be that metformin could help some people in that regard. Yeah. Let's say someone's really prone to anti or to free radical induced ant, uh, stress, and they also tend to gain body fat. So they get sore and they tend to gain body fat really easily. For them, metformin might be not a bad idea. Hmm. It's got somewhat of an it's an antioxidant to some degree. Mm-hmm. It might push them from too far to the right back towards that more optimal point in terms of free radical stress as well as help with insulin sensitivity in their case. Yeah. I know it's become Maybe. more and more popular Maybe. with anti-aging. Yes. Metformin. Yeah. It has those effects like in rats is like, that's, you know, that's, you know, part of the, part of what you see with diabetics Yeah, is that it helps, it increases life expectancy. Hmm. Interesting. But diabetics, that's the thing with, if someone is not a diabetic, because those people who are diabetics have, tend to be more inflammatory in nature. Mm-hmm. They've got they're 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 in a different spot on that rel, relative amount of inflammation that they're experiencing. So metformin is sliding them along that scale. Mm-hmm. They're not worried about exercise. Well, their exercise adaptations are actually important for them. If they're combining the metformin with exercise, mm-hmm. so it's moving them along that scale. And that's the thing we we constantly. I say we like I'm thinking of podcasters, scientists, even. Just a general, in a very general way, people who are looking at what is the effect of exercise training regime, supplement, some um, pharmaceutical on an, an adaptation 
we tend to think of that in a very linear fashion yeah. as if the dose response is directly linear and then maybe it just plateaus off. Mm -hmm. But, but at least as far as exercise goes, there's so much suggesting there's a hormetic response. So the right in the right amount, you can have protect even things that are toxic. Free mm -hmm. radicals are toxic. If they're too much, the devil's in the dose. This is where this thing comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, Eat, uh, you can use like gamma radiation and um, in small amounts that normally like that's that's mutating radiation. That's not good for your DNA. That'll cause cancer and all sorts of shit. Yeah. But in small enough amounts, it will evoke an adaptive response that is protective against mm. cancer or turn you into so, the Incredible I mean, Hulk. There, <laughs> that too. There you go. Could happen. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, people like, you know, you, you, you there's another kind of example. It's it's related to slightly different mechanisms, but people who are snake handlers will mm. they will um, kind of vaccinate themselves. They'll 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 uh, inoculate themselves. I think is the correct word against um, venom from poisonous snakes by starting off with small doses and gradually giving themselves more and more and more of it. Yeah, yeah. So their body builds up builds up a defense against that. Yeah. So. In small enough amounts, you adapt to those further amounts. Hmm. And, you know, where you are in terms of what can be, you can handle is going to be a function of your training status mm -hmm. or how much snake venom you've been adding to your system at a regular basis, <laughs> as well as what your innate capability is for handling a given amount of that particular stress or toxin. Hmm, yeah. Some people can train and and like like Brandon Curry, this is so informative when he had said this, talking about guys that come over to Oxford Gym mm -hmm. to the Middle East, and those who make it are the ones who can just handle that massive training volume. Yeah. If you can handle all that training volume, then you can recover from that stimulus. It means you've got a greater stimulus, which is going to produce a greater amount of growth. But if you can't so you you're you're if you if throw back if you could that first figure that I had. That I sent Let's you. See. The very first hormesis curve one. Okay. Got it. So the Brandon Curry's of the world, the really good bodybuilders of the world, as long as they're motivated to train really, really hard, are the ones who have that excellent recovery, the green dotted line. Yeah. They can train, they can train with higher volume. They can evoke uh, they have a higher cumulative dose of training mm -hmm. that they can recover from. So their peak is going to be further in terms of what they can adapt from. It's going to be higher. They have a po higher positive adaptive response. Mm. Yeah. Than someone who's got poor recovery, for instance, mm -hmm. who can't handle as much volume. So you still have the same phenomenon with everyone. You know, there's a dose response that eventually you know gets past the point of optimal recovery mm -hmm. to where it's just too much. But if you've got great genetics. Um, you can see there's a little bit of difference there for any given amount. If you just like you go, just inch your way along from left to right on that horizontal axis, you mm -hmm. can see the for a given amount of training dose, you've got a greater adaptive response in the green line versus the red line. The yeah. Green line's above the red line yeah. all the way out, and the green line also has a higher peak, and that higher peak comes at a higher cumulative training dose. Mm -hmm. Because that person has better genetics, they grow better from any given amount of training, and they can handle more training, and they can grow better overall yeah. from more training, and they can recover from it. And they can even like look, take a look at this. So like, see where the, if you, I, I don't have any units on these these graphs, and they would just be arbitrary. But mm -hmm. look at the the peak for poor recovery. Mm -hmm. It's about half as high as it is for the peak for excellent recovery. Right. So. And now look at just, again, there's no units here, but look at where the poor recovery peak happens on the dose, that horizontal, and then read that peak for poor recovery all the way to the right, all the way to the right, to yeah. where it matches the downward slope for excellent recovery. Mm. And then look at the cumulative dose there. Hmm. That cumulative training dose is like twice. I mean, this is totally hypothetical. Right. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't read that. Don't knock. Hey, Suki, Suki, it's okay. Why don't you say? All right. Okay. All right. So, sorry. Let's cut that out. It was just the one knock. They like just like give one knock and they go bonkers. They're ready. You know this. So, so if you look, if you look at those plots again, this is like 
this actually kind of matches real world. I didn't intend this at all when I drew these or just go to hand drawn, but just to, uh, to emphasize the point, mm-hmm. but you might have someone who can go in, like you pick up flex magazine in days of old and you've got, you know, all these pro bodybuilders who have excellent genetics. Mm-hmm. They grew like weeds from the beginning, most of them. And they're doing, you know, 30 sets a week, 20 yeah. sets a week or whatever. And they're maybe growing better from twice the training volume that the average person would need to get their optimal response. Right. And they're still growing better. Yeah, yeah. So they could be growing even more from doing less, potentially, hmm. which some find yeah. as they get better, like Dorian Yates did. So um, anyway, there's a lot There's a lot there to kind of glean from that, even though I, that, that's not, you know, that's not, uh, doesn't come from any actual data. Mm-hmm. There, there are some studies demonstrating this kind of thing. Actually, unfortunately, one of those at least was retracted. Mm. The, well, there's a Barbalo study mm. that was done. Um, there's a couple, a few studies from that lab that had been pulled back out of the literature because they had some issues with the, uh, the veracity of the data. No kidding. Wow. Yeah. 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 It was kind of a big deal. They kind of, they, they flubbed a few things. A little drama in the research world. Yeah. (laughs) It happens. It it does happen. Which I, I really like, it was such a bummer because it was really, it was important data, you know, in, in answering some, they, they addressed some important questions Yeah. in this dose response, uh, arena here and they didn't answer them honestly. Yeah. That was the problem. Yeah. So. All right. Well, listen, let's, anyway, uh, so that's, that's a little, little story on the met format. Just, you know, give people follow up is that it, it can impair recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Now that um, I, and like I said, man, I feel like I didn't know why, but I, I could see it just in my own experiences with people. Yeah. I, I'd seen yeah, it in my own. It actually enhances recovery, perhaps too much. Yeah, yeah. I said that wrong. I said that the wrong way. It actually enhances recovery in a certain way, or prevents the stimulus. Right. So yeah. So it it it, it it's not it's not the best choice for many people. Okay. We'll say just say it that way. All right. Yeah. Well, listen. Let's wrap up here because we uh, we've got we've 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 gone uh, pretty deep on a couple of topics here. I know we had some yeah. other stuff. If if you wouldn't mind, if we nailed that out on the on the next one, that would be awesome. Um, and plus, my brain can only handle so much at once. Scott, we had a couple couple big topics here. All right, I hear you. So, guys, if you um, if you enjoy this stuff, Scott mentioned his book. Uh, be your own bodybuilding coach where some of these figures came from. You can go to byobbcoach.com. Uh, you could go to, we'll put a link uh, to our affiliate code uh, or affiliate link to uh, the Amazon where you can find the hardcover book. And um, of course, we talked a lot about Fortitude Training. So check out fortitudetraining.net. And uh, as always, guys, if you guys enjoy our content, if you want to support us, uh, then do us a favor, give us a like. Uh, if you haven't subscribed, please do. And um, check out our sponsor, truenutrition.com, because they've got some kick-ass supplements and use our code ADVICES. Dr. Scott, it is always a pleasure, my friend. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. Yep. See you guys next time. See you guys.